Let's take up our Bibles and read together at Psalm 63. As I mentioned in the bulletin this morning, I believe the sermons today are linked. This morning we had another sermon about the wilderness uh, pilgrimage of Israel, and here we have David, as the subheading reads, the Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Here now from the wilderness and from heaven itself, the inspired word of God. O God, you are my God, early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live, I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you've been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Thus far we read this psalm. And the text on which I'd like us to meditate in light of the context in Psalm 63 is verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. We are met here with a psalm that's revelatory. The word of God is revealed here, of course. This is God's word. But also there's a revelation of David's heart and the longing of his very soul. The situation might very well be the... Uh, flight of David from his rebellious son Absalom, his treacherous son Absalom, who sought to take the kingdom from David. And this would be, this is terrible, and David finds himself, therefore, outside the sanctuary, outside of Jerusalem, in the wilderness, um, fleeing from his own son. He is lamenting the fact that he's not able to be at home with the saints and with God in Jerusalem, praising the saints in the sanctuary, the tabernacle. In the soul, he longs for that sanctuary and comes to realize that the one thing in life that matters is life with God. Maybe it's the deprivation of that experience of the sanctuary worship that led to this, no doubt, part of it. But at any rate, the conclusion of David is that life with God is the main thing or we have no life. In fact, the loving kindness of God that leads to that life is better than anything that life can afford here below. This is the heart of David. And the question I ask you, beloved, is this. Is this your heart? Is this your heart revealed in this psalm? Is this the psalm you sing declaring God is your God and that life with God is better than anything this life can afford? 
is this your heart? The church of the pious from day one has ever been, has ever seen fit, in fact, to make this psalm hers, all of the psalms of David and of the other inspired authors she would make her own. But she has been keenly aware that there is a unique place in the psalmody of David inspired by God in the Psalter for Psalm 63. It's even said that the early church uh, ordained or called its people to sing this psalm every day. Well, do we do anything like that? Sing this psalm bespeaking the heart of a devoted man or woman or forgiven sinner praises to God and extolling the life that's in him. Well, let's understand this tonight. This is a calling tonight, even as we are hearing someone's confession, to make this our own. So if the psalmist is saying this, we, we have to see here, beloved, this is what we should say. This is the natural, supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit within someone, that this someone in whom is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, confesses, God, O oh God, you are my God, and your loving kindness is better than life to me. So for the practical application of the word of God to our lives, that we might lead the life of those who extol the life with God, let's consider better than life, what it truly is, how we are to know this, and the fruit of this, and as we'll see, it's all about praise. My lips shall praise you, the psalmist says, for whom the loving kindness of Jehovah is better than life. There's a comparison here between life with God and life, ordinary life on the earth. That's clear when the psalmist himself draws the comparison between the loving kindness of God, which issues in life with God, and this other life, and he's referring to ordinary life here below. This is the confession we make. <clears throat> life with God, which is rooted in the loving kindness of God, is, is the thing. It's the life. And anything else uh, pales in comparison is not even worthy to be compared. But since the psalmist compares a life here below with God's loving kindness and life with God, we should too. And it might strike us right away when we see that the psalmist is comparing life with God with this life because a lot of us think, well, there's a lot of good things in life. And how can we say absolutely that the life of a Christian is the life when we share ordinary life with lots of people who seem to be enjoying life and, and we even enjoy life and and it's not wrong to enjoy this life. So what is this about David? He's being so absolutist here, so exclusive. And he's crowding out any kind of enjoyment, it seems, of creature comforts when he says, that's nothing and the loving kindness of God issuing in life with God is everything. It's better than anything that this earth can afford. Well, as I said... There might be a theological justification for people who, saying, or who might say, this is, this is a little off kilter here. It's a psalmist gone devotion wild, and he's not being even according to the word of God. After all, this earth was made by God. 
is a good creation. We have a good creation. God even said it's good. And the whole thing is a message of God. It's a parable. Is the spring of God. Earthly story with heavenly meaning. That's what it is, children, what parables are. And God has with his, as it were, with his finger written in the spring and in the budding and the singing and the popping out of this and that that's growing from the earth and jumping into the creeks out of nowhere. Uh, he said, I am the God of life there. And we enjoy that life, and we enjoy singing the rejuvenation of, of the plants and the birds and, and the bees humming once again. These are, as theologians call them, vestiges of God, reminders in the revelation of God that there is a God. In this creation, we see this. Now, isn't life in that creation therefore good? But then you think of the pinnacle of God's creation, human beings, Isn't there some regard for virtue and good order among even fallen men? We'd have to say yes. And because this is biblical not only, but because it's reformed. In Canons 3, 4, 4, even though there's total depravity taught there, nevertheless, there is some reminder to us that there is something of a remnant of natural light according to which men live by, and there's a good regard for virtue and good order in society, and Inventions can be made and people can tap into the wisdom of God itself, as it were, as they investigate theoretically and practically how to improve this life. So locomotives, supercomputers, vaccines, hold it, some vaccines, good things for the culture in even promoting of life, useful for health. And you think of it, And I spoke to the older folks at Sunset Matter. Uh, Think of that. A lot of you would be dead now if you were born 50 years even before you were born because the technology would not have been there or the medicine to, to save you from an early demise. But here they were, 90 plus years old. And I dared to say that I was now among their peers because my birthday was tomorrow and I was in my 60s and they all left. Well, beloved, they'd seen a lot of life, and they understood what I was saying. Some people even think that theirs was a greater generation, the generation of the world wars who lived through things and and saw the best of men and the worst of men, the valor, the heroism of those who, who took on the enemy, and there was this morality about war back then. Now we wonder why are we doing the things we are and fighting the wars we do? Even though there's chaos, there was some good in these things, as we call it, good generally and, and loosely. So it's a good life, and the psalmist here, as it were, ignores it, belittles it, criticizes it, maybe, at least neglects to mention it because he has loving kindness of God on the mind. Loving kindness of God. And more than that, the psalmist could very well be justified when we think about the fact that this life here on earth is not so good, and so it has some good things, but there's a lot of bad things. It's a dark and bloody ground, as they used to say in the Indian Wars. Dark and bloody ground. It's a dry and thirsty land. That's what the psalmist says. It's a waste-howling wilderness. We live in a wilderness, and 
The New Testament calls it a present evil age. Oh, don't we know? There's no water here. There's no real life here. And the oases of men are those things that are trumped up to be life-supporting and even to offer eternal life and joy and happiness without God. Such is the nature of sin that human beings, when they make their culture, are here building Babel. They're building the Babylon, of which the uh, Revelation speaks in the book of Revelation. A kingdom of man with all the advances and all of the smart people put together and, and all of this. And you wonder, or you wonder not, that the psalmist would say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Earth's highest creature is a sinner yet and doesn't want life with God and chooses not by his choices so much for free will to live apart from God and doesn't at all acknowledge that he needs a savior from this life, which is nothing but a continual death. It's striking now, and we want to deal now positively the psalmist's confession. He's saying here that there's something, namely the loving kindness of God, that's better than the good things of this life and the bad things of this life. But he says loving kindness. Before he says life with you is better than God, he says loving kindness. And he's pinpointing the source of it all. The source of a life with God is the kesev, the Hebrew word for blessings untold in Jehovah God. The loving kindnesses of God are better than life that are the fountain of another life, and the psalmist is full of that. He's overflowing with the knowledge of this fountain of life which yields life with God. Literally, the life that he celebrates is or the loving kindness that he celebrates is is higher than life, implying that the life that he would celebrate with God is is higher, not just better, but from above. It's the from above life. But loving kindness. I want to just point out to you here something that reminds us of the faith of our fathers, the faith that we'll soon confess, the faith that we always confess, God saves sinners. And you note here the psalmist, without making a doctrinal statement, but very practical, and in his song, in his psalmody, is speaking the truth that God saves sinners. God's loving kindness is the fount of every single blessedness without which we'd be lost in our, in our miseries and in our sins. God sovereignly saves sinners. Sovereign grace is our name because sovereign grace is the kind of grace that God shows. Because your loving kindness, and only because your loving kindness is better than life, I will praise you, only you. You deserve all the praise, and I'm not going to praise you and then pat myself on the back or somebody else who got me saved. I'm not going to praise my life and my merits. I'm going to praise God the fount of every blessing and the life that he gives. Now, literally, this life with God, rooted in loving kindness, is better than lives 
Hebrew is lives. Interesting. And a way that the Hebrew has of expressing a lot in a plural. My loving kindness is better than lives to me. And what is he meaning here? Well, he's meaning that you put all the lives together of anyone on earth. You put all of life together from every single angle. And you weigh the good and the bad and the ugly. And, and you put them all together and you say, ah, they're, they're nothing compared to the loving kindness of God. In fact, if I look at the life of those who are financially secure, who have billions to give and who with their billions are buying up all of the farmland in the Midwest. If I look at those who have all the smarts and all the degrees and all the influence in life, the psalmist is, as it were, panning the whole horizon or, or, or not even wanting to think about it because it doesn't really compare. If I consider all the happiness that people have, all the mansions in which they live, and all of the second, third, and 20th homes that they have, the psalmist is saying, what's that? What's that? Me, on the other hand, on the other side of the balance, I just have the loving kindness of God. And I don't care really what I have or don't if, as long as I have that. Because the wicked and those who don't have this life and know this loving kindness that I do, they might have it all and then some. But what is it profiting them? They're gaining the whole world, as Jesus says, and losing their soul. Their life is a life under the wrath of God. And they will perish in that life everlastingly. And they won't take anything with them. But then, though we be poor as a church mouse, whatever that means, or rich as a king, whether it be young or, or, or older or rich or poor or male or female, as long as there's God and his loving kindness, I'm all for that. All for it. You too? Remember, we wanted to make this psalm personal. God wants us to make this our psalm. That's why it's in the Bible. Because it's a word relevant for us. And as the wilderness experience is relevant to us, because the Bible teaches it is. In fact, it's a type of our pilgrimaging unto the promised land. So the praises of the psalmist, the perspectives of the psalmist, they are. This is the wisdom of God. The song of the psalmist the notes, the elevated consciousness of th something that is truly above is our elevated speech called song. As I've said before from the pulpit, Luther was known to say that theology is the greatest gift of God, but next to it, right next to it, as a handmaiden of that theology is song. Song. And who cannot think of a mighty fortress is our God in Psalm 46 and Luther calling it his psalm and not know that he really meant it. Because the word of God, the truth of God, the life from heaven, the loving kindness of God, 
That was everything to him. And that made him stand at the Diet of Worms and stand before the world and against all papacy and say, here I stand because here I sing. This is the song, God, he's my God. And it's the only God of life that's worth living. Wow. Now, how do you know that? How do we become not Lutheran and follow a man, but Christian and follow the Lord? How do we sing that song and so it's just not fake? We're all in. Because God, we know, is, is all ours. Oh God, you are my God, the psalmist says. And your loving kindness is better than life. Thus my lips shall praise you. Well, the psalmist gives us an, a key for understanding how he knew that God of his, as he was fleeing Absalom, is still his God and his loving kindness is greater even than the throne. Greater even than having a good reputation. That doesn't matter. But God's loving kindness is everything. Here's the key. The sanctuary, verse 2. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary. He's talking about seeking God and thirsting after him. where There is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary. He's longed to go back to the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. He's recalling better days. But even in the midst of the worst days, he can still make the confession. But this sanctuary, this is the place where God dwelt in Israel. That time it was the tabernacle. Solomon would build the temple, but there was this movable church building. And there would be the presence of God. And that's what he's referring to when he speaks of seeing the power and the glory of God. The Shekinah glory, as we call it, which would rest upon the tabernacle as the people moved in the wilderness and give them a light by night and, and be a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day to guide them. Whenever that cloud lifted up off the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, they'd move forward and they'd go to the place where God would, would rest, as it were, Shekinah, Shakan, and be with the people. So what he's saying is, there was a place I know, there is a place I know where you show yourself most. That's the place I love. The worship sanctuary of God. The place where God says to sinners, you, know, you come to me and you offer the blood of a lamb and, and you have a priesthood and you have all of this Old covenant sorts of stuff to, to remind you that I'm a holy God, but a merciful God. And this is the sanctuary, and, and we know what this is all about in the New Testament. We quickly go to the New Testament thousands of years later, and it's this. Jesus is the sanctuary. Jesus is the one whom to behold was to behold the glory of the, of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1. 
and he is the express image of God and the brightness of his glory. And to see him is to behold all the great radiance of God and his power in a hut, in an earthly form, Jesus of Nazareth. And that, beloved, is the key to understanding that life from heaven, to knowing it, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the power and the glory of God, the king of whom the psalmist speaks, the king shall rejoice in God, he's speaking of himself in verse 11, and the king he is who establishes life and maintains it. He's the king of our salvation, is Jesus. He accomplishes it all. He does everything for us, and he does everything in us. And first, he is, on behalf of us, the one who's in exile, driven out into the wilderness, bearing the wrath of God for us sinners on the cross, and now exalted, and at God's right hand ruling, sending his spirit, and regenerating and maintaining us in the life of from heaven. Now that's the explanation why the psalmist rejoices in the loving kindness of God which issues in life with God. He believes in this God who's promised in a Messiah. How much more we reflect back on all that God has done all that God has done to give us this one thing, life, by killing his son in an execution divine that the world stumbles over because they think it's divine child abuse, the father persecuting the sinless son. How could this be? The scandal of Christianity. But the scandal of Christianity, beloved, is the wonderful joy of Christianity for all who trust in that Messiah. And we find blessings in heavenly places in him. That's why we celebrate a life that's from above, not earthly and carnal, but blessings like forgiveness, holiness, faith, justification before God, the communion of the saints. These are the blessings we have in Jesus. This is the life And then this, the sanctuary to the psalmist is what he looked for. We look to Jesus, and we do this by faith. How needed. And I was reminding the elder folks this afternoon at sunset how needed that they believe in this greater life than what they live here below because theirs is soon to end. And I asked them point blank, are you sure about this? Are you, is this psalm yours? Have you gotten around to coming to terms with lo- what life is all about? You know, there's a lot of people who live all their life long, even in the church of Christ, and they've been baptized, and they go to church, and, and they hear the preaching of the gospel. They give, they go twice a Sunday, and all of this. And they're really not sure, however... What that thing is of which the psalmist is singing, loving kindness better than life, how can that be? And how can it be known? 
We have the same problems as younger folk and middle-aged folk. We're so busy in this life, aren't we? Oh, so busy. And if we're not busy, we're just lounging around and enjoying things and, and justifying our own entertainment sort of a life. And be that as it may, we're all stuck in this life. And when the heartaches come, we're just stuck on trying to fix them or grumpy about them and so on. And, and we're worried and we're worried for our loved ones and this is the reality. And when we have an ache to get married, we just think about that and we don't want Jesus to come before we get married because that's, you see, our life and we're looking ahead to that. So the good and the bad and the ugly of this life just crowds out any perception of things above. And every Sunday it seems as if the preacher, he, he just jumps up and down in the pulpit and he pounds and, he, and he, he tries to get excited on our behalf and we wonder, is this all a charade? Is this all fake? He's the guy who seems to be overwhelmed by the Spirit, but what about us? Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. And our prayer needs to be, oh Lord, help us to believe more in Jesus. This is a real problem for today's church. Everyone has an identity complex just about. We know the truth. If you don't find your identity in Jesus, you're never going to find your real identity and significance as a child of the Creator, let alone a child of God by grace. In the church world sometimes, and maybe often, more often than not, doesn't seem to be promoting the true life from above when it goes on its political campaigns to get somebody elected and to Christianize the place without converting the souls of people so that the, in this Christianized sort of Christendom that's envisioned by people in their post-millennial pipe dreams, there's no place really for loving kindness that is better than life. There's only place for a kind of loving kindness that's just as good as this life and makes this world a better place to live. Beloved, this is not about this world. This text, the whole gospel of Old and New Testament, is about another world. And it happens to be heaven, but it also happens to be the kingdom of heaven within us and that comes not with observation and that is known by the fruits of the Holy Spirit and that exalts Jesus and that is not a success story compared to the latest and greatest of megachurches and political campaigns. In this world, many are the distractions. In this wilderness of a world, many are the mirages and oases of the devil, which would make, not for blessing to the people of God, but for relaxing and a carnal sort of view of things and praise. That's, that's easy. I'll put it that way. A kind of success and victory and 
moving forward. That's easy, because that's what man can do. But the scripture is talking about something only God can do. The loving kindness of God is the source of the life from heaven and the blessings of the church and the blessings of our families and the blessings of our souls. Seek that. Aim for that. Nothing less, nothing short of that. Your target, the glory of God in Jesus, the kingdom that is his, and which if he wanted to be like this world, he'd send forth the angels and ten thousands of them, and they'd chop off every liberal's head. And many a Christian's head besides. Well, faith in Jesus, that's how we know and that's how we sing. But then, how about some other sanctuaries to take heed to? I find seven besides the sanctuary of Jesus that one who is the very house of God, the revelation of the God of our salvation. Well, in the first sanctuary, of course, is Christ, and we have to make sure that he's that one that we're going to by faith, that we're looking to. We're looking for God in Jesus. And that means, beloved, not first of all, we're looking for the church or any other ordinance of the church and even other holy things, we're looking for Jesus. We're not looking for the minister to to do something and to pray something and to preach something so that we can hear something and actually live. We're looking to Jesus for these things. Make him your all. Look to him. And then secondly, there's the sanctuary of the heart. You see, this is kind of a value check, and we're trying to to, to make sure that we're looking at all the sanctuaries and, and the places that are holy by virtue of their nearness to God, as we sang. The sanctuary of the heart. Where God works. How's your heart? How's my heart? What is Jesus to me? How are you at repenting and dealing honestly with your own sin? How... What is your joy, the joy of your heart when you're alone, when you have leisure, when you're at work and when there's hard things? What about it? Then, of course, there's the sanctuary of the Word of God. If we would look in the sanctuary for Jesus, that would be in in the Word of God that he's written to us and inspired for us. And every word of God, which is his life to us, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you see, there's the living word, that's Jesus, and there's the written word, which he, he verifies as something that's his because he says, I'm leaving you my truth, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. And his prayer to the Father is that the people of his good pleasure would be sanctified by the truth and his word is truth. So are we in the Word? This is how we can sing. We're in the Word, in Jesus, in our hearts, and in the Word of God. And then, of course, there's the sanctuary of the church, which is not Jesus, which is not the Word of God, but which is the repository of truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. First sermon we preached at this, in this hallowed halls in another place, 
was that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, the house of God. This is where God says, I'm going to plant my flag, the flag of the faith of the fathers, the church of all time, in her discipline, in her devotion, in her doctrines. It's going to be a place where songs are born in the hearts of God's people. I trust that songs are born in you here, And as you hear the word of God and are led from Sunday to Sunday to green pastures. Then there's a sanctuary and the good fellowship of a good friend and in many. But then there's this, one more sanctuary on earth and then final one. There's a sanctuary in in, in life's experiences. And I want to point you to the text here where Jesus, or uh, excuse me, David Uh, extolling the loving kindness that's better than life, and so on. He says, his soul has been thirsting for God, his flesh longing for him in this wilderness, the dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. The idea is that he's, he's wishing he were there, but he's already, though he's not there, praising God for the sanctuary that is there. And what I want to bring out to you with regard to this is that in the wilderness, we can praise God for his loving kindness. And it doesn't mean we have to go somewhere else out of the wilderness. We can't. doesn't mean we have to go to church. doesn't mean we have to do this and that and the other thing. But in the wilderness, we're looking by faith to Jesus, remembering his word, knowing the ordinances that he gives and and that everything is working for our good because we're gods and God loves us and he loves the son's sacrifice. and Therefore, he gives us freely all things. So in life's experiences, in Maras and in Elam's, in hard things and in relatively peaceful times, look for God. In that experience. And finally, that will be for our longing for the sanctuary of heaven. So, what's the fruit of this? Final point. Praise, yes. You know a doctrine is true, and the song is sincere and heard of God as a kind of a prayer if it leads to praise. Because your loving kindness is better than life, here's my response. My lips shall praise you. My lips shall praise you. So, is that our life? Is that the fruit of whatever we're believing? Because your loving kindness is better than life. That's saying everything of God, isn't it? And everything of Jesus whose life is given for us and who is the sanctuary of God, that's to a praise of God. That's the idea. This is, in fact, the outstanding fruit of this confession that the psalmist makes throughout. Verse 4, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And he speaks of being satisfied as with marrow and fatness. They liked fat, by the way, back then. They really liked fat. 
as the sweetest portion and for them the, the most uh, delicious portion of the meal. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. It's, it's all about this praising. But he says as well, it's, it's while he lives, I will bless you while I live, not just when I'm looking toward the sanctuary going to church, but while I live in every aspect of my living, the hub of my life will be The center of my life will be God and everything around God. And I will speak and I will live and I will go to the doctor and I will come home from the doctor and I will be awake and on my beds at night, that's the plural, verse 6, it's like he has different beds in the wilderness, he's a pilgrim after all, I'm going to meditate upon you, he says. It's all about God. Can't get away from God. There's no section of his life. There's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday where God is not the center. There's no relationship, no choice that he makes except that God's word is in mind and God's glory is his burden. His soul, verse 8, just picking at random here, verses that could be sermons themselves. My soul follows close behind you. There is the word there that's used for cleaving to a husband or a wife in Genesis. My soul cleaves to you. That's being stuck with God, isn't it? Stuck to God in fellowship with God gladly. And he knows the upholding hand of God and is confident of destruction of the enemies. So what do we have, beloved, in our life? What do we have? What's our life like at Sovereign Grace Church and in our lives personally? What shall it be? Shall it be a a wonderful church of truth? And that's it. So that we have the truth but no song, I submit to you, the truth comes with a song. Theology of God comes with a song. That's a life of praise. That's a life exhilarated by what God has done for us in forgiving sins and giving us life eternal and hope of glory. A song that we sing together in the great choir, not in the sky, but right here, the great singing choir, Sovereign Grace Church, with every other true believer and every other true church, calling sinners to join the mighty throng and to sing the glorious song. And it's all about praise. There's only one soloist, Jesus, the great singer, Let's follow him and be the chorus of praise for him, who's our chorister, our sanctuary, our Savior God, our King, our all in all. Amen. Lord, we pray your blessing. May we sing. May we be full of zeal for your glory, happy in the great congregation that you've given, 
the opportunities that we have here to uncover things old and new from the Word of God and the Gospel, to reflect upon just how great you are, your power and your glory, your mercy and your justice and your love and your wisdom revealed in Jesus Christ. Oh, may this people here, your people, love you. May we love one another. May we love our families. May we love the elders and the deacons and the pastor and each one of us in each of our significant places in the congregation. May we love the cause of Jesus Christ wherever it is. And may we, Lord, be those who are in constant prayer to be those who bring the salt and light of the truth and of the song of the gospel even to the wicked and to the lost, knowing that their life is nothing if it's not life in the fellowship of the living God. Hear our prayers, O Lord our God. To thee we turn, and of you we sing, and your praise we speak. In Jesus' name, amen.